Everyone doing good today? All right. I am excited to be back again with you guys. It's been a great, great, crazy week as always. But hey, listen, we're back at church and we're back where God wants us to be. We're back and we're putting God first. Uh, This is the first day of the week, so to speak. And so this is putting God first in our lives. And so today we got a bunch of stuff to cover. And so let's go ahead and just get right started with it. We have a long message today. Uh, It's going to be a lot of information being thrown at you guys, but uh, we'll get out of here on time, I promise you. So if you have your Bibles, let's open up to Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible, there's one at the end of the row. You can ask someone for that. Uh, You go ahead and do that Uh, while you're, you know, looking for that. Go ahead and feel free to check in on Facebook and let everyone know you're here. The scripture is not going to be on Facebook today, but you can still go ahead and check in and let everyone know what's going on here at Impact City Church. So, next couple of weeks, we're going to be camped out here in Mark chapter 13. And so, just a little warning. Uh, we got a lot of ground to cover. Like I said earlier, uh, there's going to be a lot of theology in this message. A lot of theology, a lot of history, a lot of uh, understanding what is going on in the message today. But I feel like I have to go through this in order for us to fully understand the, um, the topic that we're talking about. And we have to fully understand the theology of what's going on here. We can't simply just pick a verse or two out and try to study it. No, we have to understand the full context of what is going on in chapter 13. And so I really can't separate it. So what we're going to do today, one of the first things we've ever done ever in this church is we're going to go through a whole chapter of the Bible in one sermon. It's going to be a lot of stuff going at you. It's going to be a lot of stuff. But I promise you, if you're like me and you have ADD, and you're going to be okay. You can get through this. I can get through this as long as a squirrel doesn't walk into the room or something. I will be fine. And so I promise you, we're going to get through this together. So let's start off like this. I'm going to read a couple of verses to you out of Mark chapter 13. And I want you to kind of just listen to them and soak them in. And for those of you who have been in church all your life, there's probably like five of you in the room here today. Those of you who have been in church or part of your life, I want you to listen to these uh, verses, these scriptures. And I want you to tell me, not out loud, but just to kind of think about what do they mean to you? When you hear these verses, what do they mean to you? What comes to mind? And for those of you who maybe you're not a churchy person, or maybe you uh, just don't believe in God or anything at all, you you got here because someone bribed you with a taco or something, if that is you here today, you're probably not going to mean these aren't going to mean anything to you. And listen, that's okay. Hopefully by the end of the message, they will mean something to you. So let's go ahead and get started. Mark chapter 13, I'm going to start in verse 4, and then we're going to kind of go through the whole chapter. But starting in verse 4, it says this. Jesus says, uh, the disciples are speaking to Jesus, and they ask him, they say, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, see that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and the rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines, but there, but these are the beginning of the birth pains. Now, church people, what comes to mind when you hear these 
scriptures. Those of you who've been in church, if you grew up in church, like I said, it's probably about five of y'all in the room. When you hear verses like this, you might be thinking about uh, the end times. You might be thinking about the second coming of Jesus. You might be thinking about the end of the world. The apocalypse is coming. Uh, the return of Jesus Christ coming into back into the atmosphere here. You probably heard a sermon about all of these topics at one point in your life growing up in church. You might have actually read a book that probably had a cover of like four you know, different color horses and this, you know, this crazy apocalypse looking guy on the front cover. And you might have read a book like that about, and they had these verses in there. You might have attended a, a conference in some hotel room with a really weird pastor or so-called prophet claiming to be able to do, has the date and time and knows exactly when Jesus is coming back. That might be you, okay? But either way, when you hear these verses, you think that Jesus is talking about his return, the second coming of Jesus. In fact, over the years, there's been generations upon generations of pastors and preachers and so-called prophets who have been trying to use these verses to teach about the return of Jesus. Uh, Many of them have tried to predict the second coming of Jesus. And I want you to know this about these verses, is that Jesus was talking about the second coming of himself. He was talking about the return, but he was also prophesying predicting, describing an event that would happen within the lifetime of his disciples. He's talking about two separate events here, okay? Two separate things are about to happen. And to start to wrap our minds around this, we need to start looking at the beginning of the chapter and understand the full context of what is going on. Because if we don't understand the context of Scripture, this is why theology is key in understanding the Bible, If you don't understand context and proper uh, theology, you're going to start believing some really weird things in the scriptures. And so that's why we go verse by verse to the Bible. And this is why we're studying this in such depth. And it's going to be, I promise you, it's going to be fun. Okay, but let's go back to Mark chapter 13, verse 1. Let's just get back up ahead. The disciples and Jesus, if you remember over the past weeks, have been at the temple all week long. And they've been worshiping on, you know, all week long during the, the week of the Passover. And they're walking out of the temple at this moment. And as soon as they walk out, this happens. They walk out, and one of the disciples says this. Mark 13, verse 1. It says, And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. See, they had been in the temple worshiping God, and as they walked out, one of the disciples, probably Peter, because he always has a way of, like, you know, kind of ruining the moment and screwing things up. And so one of the disciples said, hey, check it out, Jesus. Look at all these beautiful buildings. Like, look, oh my gosh, look at the stones on this one. There, there is so much detail in that one. And look at, look at the beautiful stones all around this temple. And if you know scripture, if you know history, this is true. The temple in Jerusalem was a very, very beautiful place. Even back then, the architecture that went into this type of building was just gorgeous. And the disciples, is just, they're just marveling at how beautiful this is, right? They say, look how beautiful it is. Look how awesome it is. Well, Jesus responds in this really kind of weird way to that statement. Let's keep reading. Mark 13, verse 2. It says, and Jesus said to them, they're like, oh, look at the buildings. Look at how beautiful it is. And Jesus says this. He says, 
Do you see these great buildings? Like question, like, do you see how beautiful these things are? Look how beautiful they are. He says that they will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. So here's the context of what's going on. He agreed that it was beautiful. He said, yeah, that's great. Yeah, you see these beautiful buildings? Yeah, they are, they're, they're pretty pretty. But he wanted them to understand that one day this beautiful creation was going to be destroyed. That's the context. Hearing his disciples completely freaked out, they couldn't understand why a beautiful place of God would be destroyed. And so that pretty much, you know, they, they walked across the street to the Mount of Olives. And if you've been to Israel, if you know that the, the temple is literally right across the street from the Mount of Olives. And so they go over there, and as they're just sitting there chilling out in the afternoon sun, they come up to Jesus, right? And they, and they, they says this in verse 3 of chapter 13 of Mark. Keep reading. He says, And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite of the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately. They said, Tell us. When will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? A little more context for you here. They're asking Jesus, so when is this, when is this, when is this going to happen? When are these beautiful buildings, this beautiful temple that's right across the street, when is that going to be destroyed? When is, that's the context of what's going on. Okay. Chapter 13 of Mark, the disciples are not asking about Jesus' second coming. As many scholars and theologians might get that wrong, they're not just asking about that. They're asking about the building, and when is the building going to be destroyed? But it is in the answer that Jesus gave to that question that Jesus discusses the other issue of the second coming. They asked, tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign when all these things are about to happen. And Jesus begins to say this. Now hold on to your britches, people. This is going to get, this is pretty long right here, okay? In fact, I'm going to take a swig of my coffee before I read this. For everyone listening on the podcast, that was my coffee I just drank. So they ask him, when are all these things going to happen, Jesus? When are all these things going to happen? When is that beautiful building going to be destroyed? And Jesus starts to answer them with this. Started in verse 5. And Jesus began to say to them, see that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There were going to be earthquakes in various places. There's going to be famines, but these are but the beginning of the birth pains. But then he goes on to encourage him. He says, but be on guard. In verse 9, it says, but be on guard. For they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in the synagogues. And you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must be first proclaimed to all the nations. And when they bring you to trial to deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say. But whatever is given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speaks, but the Holy Spirit. Verse 12. 
And brother will deliver brother over to death and father his child over to death. And children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. This is getting kind of scary here, right? And you, verse 13, and you will be hated by all of my namesake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let them flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down or enter into his house to take anything out. Let the one who is in the field not turn back, not even to take his cloak. And alas, for the women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants, for in those days, pray that that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be much tribulation has not to be from the beginning of creation of God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being will be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it for false Christ's and false prophets will rise and perform signs and wonders and lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you all these things beforehand. Y'all got tired just reading that. So in the verses I just read to you, Jesus was predicting events leading up to the destruction of the temple. Okay? He said, all these things are going to happen. Crazy things, unbelievable things are going to start happening. And then when you see these things, you know it's going to be about time when that temple is going to be uh, destroyed. And listen, church, listen here. Everything that Jesus said in this chapter has been done. He got them all right. Every single one, he got them right. Quick history lesson for y'all. In 70 AD, 37 years after Jesus spoke these words to the temple, it was destroyed. Just 37 years after Jesus said this, the temple was actually destroyed. See, there was a guy named Titus who wanted to take over Roman rule of the town, of, of the country. He wanted to become the leader of everything that, Roman had, that Rome had. And so he gathered up an army, and he had marched into Jerusalem, and he started an attack on them and completely leveled the temple during that attack. In doing so, he completed every sign that Jesus said would happen just 37 years after Jesus said it would happen pretty awesome, right? It gets better. Jesus predicted that the Jewish folks would hear of this attack coming beforehand. And if you remember in the scripture says, if you hear of wars or rumors of wars, understand this is going to happen. If you see the mountain, the, the, the army coming, be aware. And historically, we know that that's true. They heard it was going to happen, but they did absolutely nothing to act upon it. Okay. He predicted that there would be famines and there was When Titus came to Jerusalem, the way he wanted to destroy the city and overtake the city was was by way of a siege. Now, if you know what a siege is, or if you don't know what a siege is, just think about the Battle of the Alamo. When Santa Ana came and camped out around the Alamo and just basically starred everyone in there until they were really weak and then attacked. That's exactly what Titus did. The army surrounded 
the city of Jerusalem, cut off all traders and merchants taking food and supplies into Jerusalem. And over a few months, the city literally started to starve to death. And in their weakness, Titus came and attacked. And we read about this when, uh, in this book called The War of the Jews, written by Josephus, a great ancient writer. He describes this in great detail. He says that during this, this siege, the war of the Jews, he says that 97,000 Jews survived. Sounds pretty good. But 1.1 million Jews died during this attack. And in doing that, most of them died over starvation. He warned them. It's in verse 14. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. He said... When you see the armies coming, don't go into the town. Go out into the mountains. Jesus warned about this, but we know by history that the Jewish people said it's safer to go into the city. That's where I think it's safer to go. So let's run into the city. And that's where Titus held them captive until they all died. Jesus knew what he was talking about. Jesus also predicted woe to those who are nursing, those who are pregnant, those who, mothers who are nursing children. The writings of Josephus are almost too hard to read and understand when you look at them. They were so dark. And what happened to the Jews in this hour, in this, this moment in history, was horrendous. They were so hungry that women were taking their children, killing them, and eating them. It was so bad that children were actually trapping their parents and in their old age, attacking and eating, killing their parents. Jesus started off also by predicting that not one stone of the temple would be left upon another. And we know that, that when the city was weak enough, Titus came in there and completely leveled the city. And Jerusalem was overcome. Everything, everything that Jesus predicted came true just 37 years after he did. Now, verse 30, watch, verse 30, because this is where everyone gets tripped up when they start reading this chapter. In verse 30, um, in fact, you know, this chapter, just quickly, side note, this is probably one of the most confusing chapters to read in the Bible outside of the book of Revelation. But Jesus says this in verse 30. He says, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all of these things take place. He was speaking to the disciples, taking, talking about their generation, in which we know is true, because within 30 years, 37 years, the disciples were still alive, and they saw all of this happen. All this stuff that was going to take place was going to be before their generation died, and he got all of that right. The temple was destroyed in the lifetime of the disciples. So Jesus was talking about the destruction of the temple. But mixed into all of that, he also predicted his return. You guys tracking with me here still? Shake your head. Everyone good? I'm boring you? Okay, here we go. He also predicted his second coming. He says all that stuff. He says in verse 23, he says, Be on guard, for I have told you all these things beforehand. But in those days, after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. 
And then you will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then you will send out the, to the angels and gather his, elite, his elect from the four winds and the, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branches become tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. Also, also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near and at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. In the middle of his most accurate prediction about the destruction of the temple, Jesus pops in and he goes, oh, and by the way, after I die, I'm coming back. Just by the way, little side note for you guys here. Uh, that's going to happen. It's going to be crazy. It's going to be bad. Oh, and also I'm going to be coming back later on. And it's weird for us Americans to understand this thought process Because us as Americans, we understand stories and we understand information on timelines. We get that from the Greeks. The way we learn our, the way we think is from the Greeks. It's basically saying that, um, you know, when this happens and this happens and this happens, at the very end, this happens. There's a timeline that happens here. So Jesus was talking about the destruction of the temple and he was also talking about his second coming. There is no separation, but yet there is a separation that's happening. It's two separate events that he's talking about at the same time. Is he talking about the second coming, or is he talking about the destruction of the temple? The answer is yes to both. See, as 21st century Americans, we learn our pattern from the Greeks, like I said, and the Greeks think very literal in the timeline. Something happens, this happens, then this happens. But Jesus has his thought process from the Jews. His, his ancient Hebrew way of thinking was communicated circularly in some way or form or fashion. Y'all tracking with me on this, right? I'm not losing you, okay? We think that this happens, then this happens, then this happens. Jesus says that everything happens, and as long as the topic is the same, I can have four or five different conversations all centered around the same topic and everyone understands what we're talking about here. So as long as the main point got out, it didn't matter what the timeline was. was all that matters is that we're talking about the same point. In fact, the Old Testament is full of this type of communication. If you look at the old prophecies of the Messiah, most of, of, of the psalmists and the prophets would, would be speaking about the Messiah in a future context, but it was in the middle of a current context. So there's, there's, there's a different thought process here on that, okay? And Jesus was implementing this ancient Jewish strategy of communication. When the disciples asked him about the temple, he was taking the opportunity to answer them in a current context. Like, yes, it's going to be destroyed, but also to point to them and lead them into the future reality that he was going to one day be coming back. But that leads us to this question. Why did Jesus choose this moment in time to explain the second coming in light of the destruction of the temple? What's the significance? What's the main point? Well, what does the temple represent? The temple represents the presence of God in the Holy of Holies. So the presence of the Lord just kind of hung out all day there. Okay? But where there was a problem with this. is that people couldn't get to the presence of God because there were veils and walls in between them and the presence of God. And only a priest could go into the presence of God once a year and make atonement for the sins of the world. But Jesus is saying this, that there is coming a day 
when that big, beautiful temple with all of its walls and all of its veils is going to be torn down. And there will be a moment where you will be face to face with the presence of God forever. The walls will be destroyed and it was going to be a picture to the day that when Jesus comes back, there will be no walls between us and Jesus. It's pointing to the day where we will have a full face-to-face connection with the presence of God always. And that is great news for us. That is fantastic news for us. And that's chapter 13. That's, that's it. That's the whole chapter for it. If you're still confused, that's okay. If I've confused you even more than when you walked in, that's okay too. For centuries, people have been rocking their brains trying to figure this chapter out, okay? So just take time and let that process, and then next week come back and ask a lot of questions, okay? But so far, for the next few minutes, what I want to do is actually talk about the second coming of Jesus Christ. I mean, this is the return of the king. So in light of, chapter, of Mark chapter 13, there comes a few questions out of that that we need to kind of ask and answer. Like, like, you know, can we use the signs to interpret the second coming also? Can we use all these signs, the earthquakes, the labor pains, all of those things, can we use those as signs to interpret the second coming of Christ in this type of lifetime? Can they be as accurate about him returning as they were about the temple being destroyed? And to be honest with you, I have no freaking idea. Straight up. Now there's probably going to be signs, okay? Absolutely, I I do think so. But to say that these signs are going to be the exact signs, no one knows that. If someone tells you that these are the exact signs, they're full of it. No one knows. We can sit here or in a hotel room with a weirdo-type pastor with a crazy hairdo and really bad, you know, fashion sense. And we can study and try to relate all these signs into what's happening in the world around us. And does this actually connect in some way? But honestly, that's going to be irrelevant and unnecessary in light of the fact that there are people who are going to hell because of sin. So our primary mission as Christians is not to get hung up on understanding that there's going to be an end time and trying to figure out when it is and freaking out. Our main purpose as Christians is to minister to those people and to love people who, don't, who are far from Christ. And that is our job. But there are a few things that we can know for certain about the second coming of Jesus. And here's the first thing. If you're taking notes, this is number one, is that nobody knows when Jesus is coming back for certain. Nobody knows. That's the first thing you can know for certain. And you hear hear Jesus talk about himself in verse 31. Keep reading on in chapter 13. Jesus says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning the day or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. He says not even the angels in heaven know when he's coming back. Now, we know that angels are up there right now worshiping God. They're singing holy, 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 and they're worshiping God right now. But not even they know the hour of when Christ will be coming back. They were sitting there with them. They're like, holy, holy, holy. I wonder when he's coming going to go, he's going to go back to earth. I don't know that, but they keep worshiping. And we know that they're there and they're here on earth and they're ministering to the elect as well. But not even they know when Jesus is coming back. Not just the angels, but the scripture says that Jesus himself doesn't know. That Jesus doesn't even know when he's coming back. The disciples were like, hey, uh, when is all this going to happen? He's like, Psh, heck if I know, man. I don't know. 
Not even I know. You're like, but Jesus knows everything. Yeah, but he was also fully man. So he was submitting to the fact that, to the authority of his father and not unknowing when that was going to happen. Jesus didn't know when he was coming back. He doesn't know. But he does give us action steps on what we're supposed to be doing until that happens. Let's keep reading verse 33. It says, Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. Jesus says, be ready for when that moment happens. Be on guard. Keep awake. Understand that something is going to happen and just be ready for it. Why? Because it's going to happen. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, it will happen. And we need to believe that he is coming and we got to get ready for it. We have to be ready. I remember when I was a kid, I was about 14 years old. I first started getting into hunting. And my dad said, mijo, uh, I know a guy who has a ranch who, who has a lot of hogs. And we can go shoot a hog. You can get your first, first kill, and it will be really great. So I said, okay. And so we went. And so we went down this, this road, and, and there was a long stretch of, of a dirt road. Uh, we call it a brecha. And so I sat down. as a sendero, a brecha. And so and he goes, and my dad's friend goes, okay, mijo, check it out. Listen, I want you to lay down here, and I want you to get your gun ready. I'm like, okay. And so I lay on the dirt. I'm pointing down the road, right? I'm looking straight ahead on the road. And he goes, I'm going to walk away over here. And I'm going to get on this side of the brush. And there's all these pigs inside this watering hole. And I'm going to scare them. And they're going to run right in front of you. But be ready. Be ready when they come running to you. I was like, all right, cool. And so me, I'm laying there, right? I'm thinking, how does he know they're going to run in front of me, Right? How does he not know they're going to run behind me or on top of me or, like, trample me, you know? And so I'm sitting there, and I hear him hooting and hollering over there, scaring the pigs. And I realized something. When I saw the first one, I was like, okay. And then I saw the next 20, next 40, next 80 hogs that crossed the road. I realized something. I wasn't ready for the hogs. I wasn't ready for them to come over. And so they all ran in front of me. I took a shot. I don't even know if I hit anything. You know, it was, it was so quick, so fast. But you know what? He knew it was going to happen. And he told me to be ready. And I started thinking about all these things that might happen. And what if this happens? And he said, no, it's going to happen. Be ready. Listen, Jesus tells us, I'm going to come back. Be ready. It's going to happen. Don't get caught unprepared. Be ready. For I am coming back. He is coming. Now, that's the first thing he said. The second thing, the first thing is no one knows when, but the second thing is that Jesus is returning. That's the second thing that we can know for sure. He is returning. Listen to what Paul says about to the persecuted church in Thessalonica. This church community here is being persecuted, dying like crazy. They're being attacked and persecuted for their faith in their country. And Paul says these crazy things to them. Paul says, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not, be, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry and a command and the voice of an archangel 
And with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and then when, when we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up in the clouds together with him in the Lord, in the air, and so we'll always be with the, we will always be with the Lord. First Thessalonians. This is how it's going to happen, guys, when Jesus returns. At some point in the near future or sometime around in the future, I don't know exactly what date it is because I'm not one of those weirdos, but sometime, one of these days, Jesus is going to come. He's going to look at, God's going to look at the archangel Michael. He's going to say, hey, boy, it's time to get this party started. Let's go. Michael is going to get up, and he's going to shout out from heaven. And I don't know what that shout's going to be like, but I bet you it's going to be like a whoo, you know, some type of big manly shout because angels got to have manly voices, you know. And so... They're like, whoo, he's going to make a big shout. And then Gabriel, you know, the one who proclaimed the coming of Jesus in the first place, is going to pick up the most beautiful trumpet out there, and he's going to lay out a loud trumpet noise. And I do not make trumpet noises, so I can't do that sound effect for you. And he's going to lay out this loud trumpet noise. And I don't know about you and me, but I think everyone in the world is going to hear that. I don't think we're going to be there and listening to our headphones and be like, hey, what was that noise? Or, you know, I don't think we're going to be like at home asleep. I think everyone's going to hear this trumpet sound. And when that happens, you know, you know, he's going to blow it and everyone's going to hear it. Michael's going to shout. Gabriel's going to blow the trumpet and the dead in Christ will rise up. And that's going to freak us out. And everyone around us who, who remain alive are going to meet Jesus up in the clouds in the air. And we're going to be with the Lord forever. And it's going to be a great day. Listen, Christ is returning one day and you're going to know about it. You're going to know. Thirdly, no one knows the date, the time. We are certain that Jesus is returning. And in light of the third thing we can know for certain is this. In light of all that, we know that Jesus wants us to live your life in light of the truth that he is coming back. Jesus wants you to live your light in the truth that he is coming back. Whether or not he comes in our lifetime, it doesn't really matter. Jesus is clear. He wants us to live our lives in the reflection that he is coming back one day. See, Jesus desires us to live like that. Look at the question the disciples asked him. Usually they ask a question. And they ask him lots of questions over the years. And usually when they ask him a question, he'll, he'll, he'll give them some over-the-top answer that they just don't understand. Or he'll answer them with a parable that they never seem to get. Kind of just kind of goes over their head. Or he responds with a quick, witty answer and makes them look stupid. You know, that's the way Jesus answers. But this question that they answer him, when are all these things going to happen, Jesus? This question that they ask him, they ask him, hey, look at the beautiful buildings. He's like real direct. He goes, yeah, you know what? They're going to be destroyed. And they're like, well, when's that going to happen? He goes, you know what? Uh, you know, you're going to start seeing the enemies come over and all these crazy things are going to happen. Oh, and by the way, it's going to suck really hard for you. It's going to be terrible for you. But, but, but you know, this is going to happen. Jesus was straightforward in his answering to show his disciples and us too that living in light of the second coming is going to enable us to endure the hardships, suffering, trials, pain, loneliness, and the difficulty of this life. He was serious about it. He was direct to the point. Just think about it. He was preparing the disciples for all the crap that was about to start coming through. He was preparing the disciples for all this trouble that was about to start happening. Because think about it, every single one of these men would die and suffer greatly under the name of Jesus Christ. For the name of Jesus, they suffered. 
He was telling them the truth about him returning to make everything right. And saying that through all the tribulations, all the suffering, it's going to be okay because I'm coming back. Think about it. John was going to be, he was going to survive being boiled alive in oil. And they freaked out the guy who put him into to, uh, to be bold. And the guy said, man, you, you're, I can't believe you survived that. You're the only guy who ever survived that. You know, I'm going to exile you to an island, a deserted island. You're going to be like Tom Hanks and, you know, kind of be lost out there all, you know, all by yourself, cast away. You know, uh, James was going to be beheaded in the name of Christ. The apostle Andrew, who asked, these are the guys who asked him the questions. Andrew was going to be crucified in the name of Christ. Peter was going to be crucified, but he said, you know what? It's not good enough for me to be crucified the way Jesus was, my Lord and King. Crucify me upside down, because that is the right way for me to die. Not like Jesus, but below Jesus, beneath him. Crucify me upside down. All of these guys were going to suffer intense pain for Jesus. And Jesus was telling them that they'd make it through all of that because they would be with him forever at the end. And it was going to be all right. Beloved church, when was the last time you endured suffering? When was the last time you endured pain like none other? Hardships, brokenness, difficulty, trials, fear, shame, loneliness. And you came through it by turning your eyes toward the comforting truth that one day Jesus was going to be returning and understanding that this life is temporary. When was the last time that happened? When's the last time you were able to do that? I want to finish up today with what Paul says to the persecuted church here in Thessalonia. Listen to the hope he gives to this church. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do with no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Verse 15. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of a command and with the voice of the archangel and with the sound of a trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first and then we who are alive left will be caught up together with those of them who are in the clouds who are in the air always to be with the Lord therefore encourage one another with these words to the dying people of the church to the church who is being persecuted to the church who is being just attacked Paul says, it's okay, because Jesus is coming back. You can do this. You can put up with your life. You can endure the struggles you have because Jesus is coming back. He didn't say you can endure it because, guess what? There's a great book you can read. It helps you get your life together. It's really cool. You can read that. No, he didn't say that. He didn't say, hey, you can do this because there's a great inspirational movie out there that's going to push you. No, he said you can do this in light of the fact that Jesus is coming back. Paul says, do not grieve like you have no hope. We are to comfort each other in the midst of our hardships with the truth that Jesus Christ is coming back one day. Amen? To you who are going through a dark time in your life, Jesus is coming back. To you who are feeling hopeless 
Right? There is no future. Jesus is coming back. To you who are in a state of depression, who feel lost and, and you have no direction, Jesus is coming back. To you who feels physical and emotional pain, listen, Jesus is coming back. To you who have no comfort in this life, Jesus is coming back and you're going to be with him forever and ever if you choose to surrender your life to him. Amen? I want us to be a church that loves, celebrates, and lives in the reality that Jesus is coming back. And if we live like that, church, I promise you, that not even death can defeat us. Amen? Let us be fearless. Let us be radical. Let us be a church that has the comfort of knowing no matter how bad it gets, we can know for sure that Jesus is coming back. Let's pray.